What I'm going to share is, uh, it's really very simple. It's a very simple message, but it's profound in this way. We're going to look at how Jesus called himself our shepherd. He's our shepherd. Now, a shepherd is a shepherd because they're sheep. And that be you and me. Amen? And I'm going to talk today. I'm going to begin a series I'm just calling Things Lost. Things Lost. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. If you read Luke chapter 15, it deals with with several things that are lost. Lost things. Things that are lost. Um, Most commentators say three things are lost in this parable. But I'm just going to break away from them and say I believe there's four things that are lost in Luke 15. And I'm going to show you they're all lost for a different reason. But let's just read together. Um, I'm going to read out of Luke 15, 1 to 7. We're going to start it. And I'm going to stay in Luke 15 for four weeks. And we're just going to look at the things lost. I'm reading out of the Living Bible because it put it so simple. I want you to be able to understand what is taught here by Jesus in the simplest of terms. So here we go. Dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners. How many of you were a notorious sinner? Come on. How many of you people were shocked when you got saved? Amen. Some of them still can't believe it, right? So here we go. Notorious sinners. Look what they did. They often came to listen to Jesus' sermons. They came to hear Jesus talk. But this caused complaints from the Jewish religious leaders and the experts on Jewish law because, oh no, he was associating with such despicable people. Even Eating with them. <gasps> don't you, don't, don't religious people like that just drive you nuts? They drown in rainstorms because their nose is turned up. <laughs> Somebody like that. I got, I got one good hit. Oh, is that you? She's engaged to me. That doesn't count. All right. So Jesus used this illustration when he saw the snootiness and the way that the religious leaders looked down on certain people. Don't ever do that. So Jesus used this illustration. He said, okay, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the lost one until you found it? And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. When you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. Well, in the same way, heaven is happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who haven't strayed away. So the first thing lost in Luke 15 is a sheep, one sheep out of 99, one. Some people will say, well, it's just one, just 1%, let him go. Let the wolves have him. It's just one. It's not 10 of them. It's not 50 of them, just one. So yeah, but no big deal. That's not the way God sees it. When one, he's out for the one. He loves the one. He loves you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this powerful, beautiful parable that Jesus gave to us on how important the lost are to him. 
Speak to us today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God loves you more than you will ever know. Amen. Now, let me move right along. Jesus was a savior who had the lost always on his mind. Now, listen carefully to this. Jesus was a savior and is who always had the lost on his mind. There's a song, you were on his mind. Well, if you were, you are. You're on his mind. Jesus is letting us see here his, the, the shepherd side of his nature. You know, he called himself the light of the world. He called himself the bread of life. There were many word pictures Jesus used to disp- describe and explain his character and how he was and who he was. And now he's identifying himself as a shepherd. He, he said in another place, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Now, when Jesus uses the word lost, we tend to think of somebody lost in the woods or lost in a city that they're not familiar with. Uh, So we picture somebody lost just trying to find their way uh, in an unfamiliar place. But that is not what this word means. This word, in the original language, when Jesus used it in the Greek language, it, it had way stronger import to the listeners. Because the word lost, when he said, I came to seek and to save what was lost... I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm the good shepherd, and I'm all about finding the lost. When he used that word lost, it literally means to totally perish, to be utterly destroyed forever. That's what lost means. To be totally destroyed, to be ruined forever. There's a forever attached to the meaning of the word. To be forevermore ruined or lost. So when Jesus said, I came to seek and to save what was lost, I could change it and say, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is about to be ruined forever if I don't rescue them. That's strong. Jesus viewed humanity as a flock of lost sheep. It's funny how we see people and how he sees people. Jesus saw humanity as as a flock of lost sheep, when he looks at people today, he sees two kinds of people, those that are lost and those that are found. There's no in-between. He sees the lost, he sees the found. And here in this parable, he's letting us know, once you're found, you're good. And I'm always going to go in search of what is lost, about to be ruined and destroyed forever, if I don't rescue them. See, Jesus coming to the world was a, was a rescue effort. It was a rescue mission. He came with rescue on his mind. He sees humanity as imperiled, uh, lost. If I don't touch them, if I don't reach them, if I don't get to them, if they don't place their faith in me, then they're going to be ruined and destroyed forever and forever and forever. And that's a very, very, very long time. Notice how the dishonest tax collectors and sinners flocked to hear Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was regularly criticized for eating and spending time with sinners. You know, when you look for Jesus, you you would think, well, he's in some ivory tower looking down on everybody. But no, he's called the son of man. 
And that means he wanted to get out and amongst the people. He, did, he was not snooty-nosed. He was not, he was not condescending like the Pharisees and Sadducees were. He went and found those who were the down and outers of the dregs of society. He went and found people that nobody liked, that nobody wanted to be around, that had terrible reputations. And he looked for them and he sat down with them and he ate with them. And what amazes me is God was eating with them because Jesus was God wrapped in flesh. He was literally God, the son wrapped in flesh. There is nothing created that did not flow through the fingertips of Jesus. And so God sat down to eat with them. Can you imagine sitting down to eat lunch with God? I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat. I wouldn't be able to do it. But Jesus would go get a Big Mac and break it with you. But I told the first service, I think probably he liked Burger King better. I know, it's a cheap joke. I'm just trying to keep you. But can you imagine sitting down with God and he would say to them, tell me what you're thinking. Talk to me. Jesus would, God would, in flesh form. He would sit down with the sinners and the rejects and, and the dejects and the, the discontents and, the, and, and the, the, those that nobody else wanted to be seen with. He would sit down and say, tell me your thoughts and let's talk and let's break bread and I want to hear you and I want you to hear me. And that was Jesus. And that's the way the church needs to be. I want blue hair in here, purple hair in here, pink hair in here. I don't care if you're an up and out or down and out. I don't care where you are from society. I don't care what your financial status is. I sure don't care what color your skin is. I want everybody in here. I want you to feel welcome. Come on, because heaven welcomes all of us. The Pharisees one day asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation puts it this way. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Jesus once noted that his critic called him a friend of sinners. And they meant it as a slam, but he meant it as a compliment. He took it as a compliment. He's a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad that when you were in sin, lost in iniquity, that he came to you, sought you out, loved you, accepted you? He's been called the hound of heaven. That's one of my favorite descriptions of him because he's always on the hunt for souls. Always. He's always looking for souls. The great hound of heaven, Jesus Christ. He told his disciples that the whole reason he left heaven to come to earth, he left all the glory and splendor of heaven to come to earth to seek and to save what was lost, what was headed for ruin. We see in the gospels that he went out of his way. In order to find the woman at the well and reach her, and he did. And she became the first New Testament evangelist. He stopped in his tracks. He's going along with a big crowd around him, and he stopped dead in his tracks one day and looked up in a tree, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was so short, he couldn't see over the crowd if he stayed on the ground, and he wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed the tree so that he could spot him, and Jesus stopped and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must come to your house today. And he he went for the individual. He went for the one. He went for the one person. Zacchaeus was important to him. And he knew that Zacchaeus had at least curiosity about him. So he said, I'm coming to your house today. And that day, the Bible says, that day Zacchaeus was saved. He made time to go out of his way and go down to a man, a desperate man, a crippled man, 
at the pool of Bethesda who could not make it into the water in time when the angel stirred the waters to get healed. He couldn't make it. Everybody went ahead of him and Jesus said, you want to be whole today? And he raised him up from his sickness and he also believed on Jesus and that day was saved and testified of him to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is always on the hunt for the lost. Always. He went into the highways, he went into the byways, ever in search of the strange sheep of humanity. And so here in Luke 15, we find Dr. Luke moved on by the Holy Ghost, recording the words of Jesus that there are four things that were lost and found. Four things lost. The first one was a sheep, and the sheep was lost by straying. The second thing lost is a coin, and the coin is lost by neglect. The third thing lost is a son the prodigal son, and he's lost by rebellion. The fourth one, I contend, in Luke 15, is the elder brother. He was lost by religion. And I'm going to deal with every one of them in the next four weeks. But today, let's talk about the sheep. The sheep lost by straying. The sheep represents the human race in Jesus' parable. It represents you and me. Isaiah wrote in his famous chapter 53, We, every one of us, have strayed away like sheep, like sheep. We stray like sheep. We all left God's paths to follow our own, all of us. Notice, everyone, all, all of us, every one of us, there is not one that didn't do this. We all left God's paths to follow our own, but God laid on him the guilt and the shame and the iniquity of us all. We like to think that we're okay. Remember that book, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, everything is okay? Remember that? But that's not how the Bible sees us at all. Let me tell you something, the human race is not okay. No, and, I, and before I knew Jesus, I wasn't okay. And if you don't know Jesus, I love you, I'm not judging you, but according to the Bible, you're not okay. You're, you're headed for eternal ruin, that's what lost means. When Jesus looks at the human race, he doesn't say, oh, well, they're okay. Uh-uh. It says, everybody, everybody, like sheep, have strayed. We've all gone our own way, done our own thing. And that's what sheep do. We like to think we're smart, capable of doing life alone without God. We don't need God. I'm okay on my own. I'm very self-sufficient. I'm very capable, very smart. But the Bible doesn't see us that way. The Bible says, no, you're more like sheep. And one thing about sheep is they always go astray. They wander from their shepherd. They wander from their flock. They wander from the pasture that the shepherd has created for them. They wander. They always wander. I like the way one writer put it. He said, they nibble themselves into lostness. It's a great picture. And he said, here's how they do it. They, 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 they start walking and, and they find a little patch of grass and they start eating there and they nibble on that grass. Then they see another one, they go further and they nibble there. Then they go further and they nibble there. And, and, before, and they never look up. They just keep on going from patch to patch, nibbling away at the grass. And they nibble themselves away from the shepherd, away from safety, into the wilderness. They nibble themselves into lostness. And then finally, when they do decide to look up, they don't know where they are. And we do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. We do the same thing, don't we? 
We nibble on a little philosophy over here that has nothing to do with Christianity. We nibble on this over here that has nothing to do with Christian living. But it looks good. It looks like grass. It's green. It looks like grass. It, it, it feels like grass. And so we nibble here and we nibble there and we nibble at this and we nibble at that. And all the while, we're nibbling ourselves away from the Savior and away from the shepherd and into the wilderness. We nibble ourselves into lostness. Amen, Pastor Jeff, that's good preaching. How many of you nibbled your way into a real situation? Come on, don't look so holy at me. How many of you have ever nibbled your way into trouble? Come on. They carelessly and recklessly place themselves in danger of wolves and other predators, and they easily become lost, and that's why they're sheep. Isaiah says, we're just like them. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And because of that, the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity of us all. I can't tell you how often as a pastor I've heard these words. I don't know how I got into this mess. I do. You're a sheep. And I'm a sheep. And as sheep, we're drawn to things that aren't of God. We're pulled toward toward things that are not good for us. We gravitate towards sin. We gravitate towards the devil's attractions because we're sheep. We're sheep. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And jumping down a few verses, he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff in the 23rd Psalm are all about sheep that have strayed and how to get them back. So you got a rod and you got a staff. The rod is just a straight pole. We've seen shepherds in movies and maybe in real life walking with one they walk with that that straight pole that's the rod and then we've seen the 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 staff that's like a cane and and it's a straight stick but it, it 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 curves at the end and we've seen cartoons or movies where somebody was singing bad or or talking bad or making a fool of themselves on stage and all of a sudden from nowhere comes this long staff and it puts them around the neck and pulls them off stage remember that all right you got a rod and a staff Now, these were all about, David said, they comfort me. Why did they comfort him? Because it had to do with straying. Because you see, a real shepherd, when he sees a sheep straying, he is trained. He will take that rod and he can hurl it with incredible accuracy and strike that sheep out of nowhere. He's just, he's just nibbling his way away from the shepherd and bam, he gets hit with this rod. He turns around, he gets right back in the flock quickly. It's the rod of correction. How many of you are glad that God loves you enough to correct you back home? Correct you back home. Man, there you are nibbling on this and nibbling on that and nibbling yourself away from God. And wham, comes the word of God because the word of God is God's rod. And all of a sudden, a verse comes your way. And, and, it, and, it, and it hits you and you say, oh, what am I doing? And you get back into the fold. The staff had to do with the sheep being in danger. Because if the sheep got too far away from the shepherd, let's say he fell down a little cliff and way below is water and he's in real peril, the shepherd would take that staff and wrap it around that sheep or put it in a position where he can pull that sheep towards him and out of danger and he would pull that straying sheep back to himself with the staff. David said, my God, the Lord is my shepherd. I love the way he owns it. I love the way he owns it. He's not just a shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. How many of you can say, Jesus is my shepherd? Amen? So his rod and his staff are all about 
getting straying sheep back. He's always on the hunt for the straying sheep. Those that have never been saved and they're headed for ruin or those who have been saved and they've drifted away from the the flock and the pasture, the green pastures of tender grass that David talks about. He makes me to lie down in pastures of tender grass. He leads me beside the still quiet waters. And when he does that, it restores my soul. But the devil has fake pastures and fake water. And, and, and if you go there, he, he comes to you. Jesus comes to you. And he finds the straying sheep and brings you back home. But I, I see also in this parable, there is an urgency. There is an urgency with the shepherd. It says when he realizes that just one of them is gone, he quickly leaves the 99 and says, y'all are okay, you're good, i got to go find the one that's straying. And there's a reason that he has such urgency. And it's called cast, C-A-S-T. In real shepherding, when a sheep strays, the shepherd knows time is of the essence. If I don't find that sheep, he's going to die because he's going to become cast. And here's how they become cast. They will wander away, eating, walking, straying, and end up in a wilderness place, and they get tired. And when they get tired, they look for somewhere to lie down. And when they lie down, they go to sleep. And when they go to sleep, they have a tendency to roll over on their back. And when they roll over on their back, they can't get back over. They're stuck. And it's called cast. And when they're cast like this, gases begin to build up in their stomach. And if the shepherd doesn't find them in a certain amount of time, they will die by being cast or they will fall prey to a predator who finds an easy meal because they're upside down and they can't get themselves right side up. They're cast. And the striking thing about this illustration is The reason the shepherd in Jesus' parable says, man, i got to go find the one, is because he knows I've got a certain amount of time before I lose him. And people become cast all the time. That's the striking thing about the illustration. They become cast all the time. Men and women, boys and girls become cast all the time. Just like the prodigal son, we wander away from the father thinking we're going to find freedom, and we end up cast. The prodigal son found himself in a pigsty, flailing arms, spiritually speaking, flailing legs eating pig food, unable to deliver himself. And isn't that the way we get? I think of the drug addict or the alcoholic. They, they first go to the drug to find some kind of peace or fulfillment or answer or escape. And, and at first they choose to do it, but then they must do it. And they end up cast. Can't get out. It's funny how if you've got a, a mind that thinks how you can wander away into worldly philosophies... Colossians 2.8 says, Beware, lest anybody spoil you, ruin you, through worldly philosophy and vain deceit. But we, we, we go nibbling off into philosophies that have nothing to do with God, and they, they take us away. And, and at first it's a choice, but then we find that we are in bondage to these thoughts, and we need to be set free. They are strongholds now, and, and we're cast, and we must be set free by somebody stronger than us. And his name is Jesus. Amen? And I, and I, think, of, I think of what we would call the up and outer, the, the, the typical good person who doesn't believe that they need God because everything is good. I got money. I got a house. I got 
a reputation. I've got a career. I've got health. I got it going on, don't you know? And they don't see their perilous position. They don't see that they're cast because they can't even see their real condition because of the blindness of their eyes, what sin has done to them, and they're cast. Spiritually, their legs are flailing and their, their life is building up with sin. And if they're not rescued, they're going to die in their sin. Amen. Say with me, Jeff, this is heavy. But it's true. See, I was cast. Oh, I was so cast. I was desperately cast. And God found me in juvenile home. My legs, spiritually speaking, were flailing. Sin had built up in me to a dangerous level. And then I heard about a savior. I heard about a deliverer. I heard God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it struck my heart. It grabbed my heart. And I prayed the first prayer in my life, and it was a salvation prayer. And I said, Jesus, I don't even know who you are, but I believe on you, and I'm asking you to come into my heart. And there I was, a cast sheep, and that rod and that staff came and grabbed me and led me to the shepherd's presence. And I got set free that day. I I came to know a Savior that day. And I want to tell you, nothing will set you free like Jesus. Nothing can wash your sin away but the blood shed for you. Nothing can deliver you from your cast condition but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Look, says Jesus, I've been standing at the door. Look at the verb tense there. I have been standing. I've been standing. This has been going on a while. I've been standing at the door, and I am constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I'll come in and fellowship with him and he with me. I'm constantly knocking. I'm constantly reaching. I'm constantly calling. I'm constantly wooing. I'm constantly looking for the lost sheep. Your neighbor, you don't see them like he does. Your coworkers, those that you run into every day, when God looks at them, he says, lost, I want to save them. I want to touch them because they're in peril of eternal ruin. Now, I want to close with this. I noticed in the parable, Jesus told us something that we would never have known if he hadn't told us. We would never have known it because I don't know what's going on in heaven, but Jesus knows what's going on in heaven. And look what Jesus said. He said, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of who, everyone? The angels of God over one sinner who repents. He said, when one person turns, when one person who the Savior finds, the shepherd finds, and and stands them on their feet, and that's what a shepherd will do when he finds a cast sheep, he stands them up, he rubs their legs and gets the blood circulation of life going in them again, and then he leads them home. When you come to Jesus, he, he rubs your spiritual legs, life starts flowing in you for the first time in a long time, and he leads you home. Okay? And he says, I want you to know that when one person truly turns to him, something happens in heaven. There is an explosion of joy. There is an explosion of celebration. I I watched recently on a newsreel, I I watched a newsreel of a mother and a dad whose daughter had been kidnapped 12 years before. And they had been on a hunt for 12 years. They had searched for their little girl for 12 years. And finally, she was found. But she was found in another country. And they brought her back. And when the police 
called the police station where these parents were and said, all right, she's in a cruiser, we're in the States, we're about there. They fell into each other's arms and they began to wail and they began to cry and they began to shout and they began to smile and they could not contain themselves. The police that were around them just had to stand by and watch this sacred moment take place when they are reconciled to their daughter who had been gone for 12 long years. And when she was pulled up in the, in the cruiser and got out, oh my, it was pandemonium. That, that, those parents fell all over her, kissed her neck, held her, wouldn't let go. No reporter could say anything. No cop could say anything. It was a moment of reconciliation because she who was lost had been found. Listen, when you come to Jesus Christ, There's that kind of an explosive celebration in heaven. Like when your team makes a touchdown, the stadium explodes. When somebody is saved, heaven explodes. And they shout and they rejoice over one sinner who repents. Can we stand together today? Can we give the Lord praise today? Amen. So I got to believe this, that the angels are peering over the portals of glory, looking down as the great shepherd, the hound of heaven, hunts and calls for souls. And when one is saved, it erupts into a heavenly celebration. This is real, church. That's why we're always going for souls. We're always believing God for souls. Because this is real. How many of you know this is real? Let me ask this question. How many of you can say, man, I was so cast when God found me. I I got into something I couldn't get out of. Come on. And, And aren't you glad that he was stronger than the sin that held you and mightier than the devil that bound you? Amen? Yes. Let's thank the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your presence today. Thank you that you're our Savior. Thank you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. Lord, if anyone in this place is far from you, reach your staff out and lovingly pull them near. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In the mighty name of Jesus, can I ask my prayers?